Welcome, Compass, to this week's episode of the Equip Podcast. I am joined here with Pastor Evan, and I am, if you didn't know, Pastor Hayden. And here at our church at Compass, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. Everything we do here uh, is for the explicit, unequivocal, no, no, unequivocal reason to reach people, teach people, and train people for Christ. Pastor Evan, we are in a current series. We are at the end of our current series. End of a chapter. End of a chapter. End of an era. End <laughs> preparing for Jesus. This sermon was called The Revelation, or Jesus being revealed to us as the Son of God. Do you want to read that text? I was kind of hoping it was part three, but I'll take the revelation. <laughs> Matthew three thirteen through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Well, Pastor Hayden, we uh, just got done preaching out of Matthew 3, and you had to land on the Trinity. Yes. How do you feel? Oh, you know, it was it was a long week. Yes, it was. Why? Because <laughs> there's two pastors, one podcast? What's going on? No, the, the, tr- the triune nature of God is such a profound mystery uh, in our universe, and the reality of it is it should allow us to be in great awe of who God is, and it should cause us to worship him. Uh, but it also, even in sermons like this, should cause us to understand that we also have a finite ability to comprehend and convey the true nature of the Trinity. And, we'll, and before we jump into your sermon and your main points, why is it important that we do not take the Trinity for granted? We shouldn't take the Trinity for granted because that is the fullness of the Godhead. We, we need to understand that they have existed in eternity. They are co-equal. They are all fully God, but each one is in and of themselves fully God, but not, uh, but without all three, you would not have the fullness of the Godhead. I mean, that's, you know, so you, when we think, we, we can't, we have to think about the Trinity, and even in a practical application way, when we look at the Bible, we often see the Trinity uh, discussed, brought up, them relating to one another. You're going to see that even in your application questions in 1 Peter 1, 2, Matthew 28, 19, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Acts 10, 37, and 38. You will not be able to escape the triune nature of God, even in Scripture, in creation, in our world, in our salvation, and even in eternity. It's a very important part of the Christian faith that we should embrace and love uh, and be in awe of the mystery of God, but also in as much as God has revealed himself in Scripture, that we would know him. And it is important for us to really sit down and study who this God is and to truly understand truly understand who this God is so we can worship him. All right, Pastor Hayden, with this text, if Matthew being Matthew, wow, Matthew talking about Jesus being baptized. I almost said Matthew was baptized. Maybe mm. it was later. But Jesus was baptized in this passage. What was your main point? that Jesus has unashamedly associated himself with our sinfulness, then that ought to motivate us to boldly associate with Jesus and his mission to see the lost saved. 
So, what should we do about that? We should be motivated to associate with Jesus and the mission of the triune God to see lost people saved. Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, our congregation probably has more, it has some answers. I think a lot of us got a lot of answers and we were edified, but I think a lot more questions started to pop up because of the grandeur of who God is. Um, but you had two points for us. Uh, the first point being grasp the significance of Jesus associating with you know, our sinfulness. So, why is it important that we both grasp not only the deity of Christ, but the humanity of Christ? It is the humanity of Christ and him stepping out of heaven, clothing himself in human flesh, and being the perfect man. Being the perfect man that fulfilled the Mosaic law, that uh, broke the chain of sin, and death, because although Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man, which means that he qualified to be the son of David. He qualified for the blessing of Abraham, and he qualified to be the son of God, thus bestowing on us the promises of Abraham, the promise of David, and the salvation of God. And that is what is important about seeing the humanity of Christ as central to the Christian faith, because without it, without the humanity of Christ, we wouldn't have union with God. And even further, why is it, if we forget the humanity of Christ, why do we lose the awe of God associating himself with sinful people? If we look at God separate from man, he is holy, we are unholy. He is rich. We are poor. All of the different kinds of examples and uh, contrast of us and God all exist in, in true reality. And so when we think about Jesus becoming poor for our sake, for our salvation, that he would be poor so that he would make us rich, that he would become sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These, these are all the importance of not forgetting the importance of the humanity of Christ. Never belittling the deity of Christ through the humanity of Christ, but never diminishing the humanity of Christ uh, because it is the humanity of Christ that took our place on the cross. And so when, as we grasp that truth, we will lead right into point number two, to participate in the mission of our triune God, which is to see sinners saved, to see sinners redeemed. Why is this such an evangelistic sermon, Pastor Hayden? You, you look at it, it doesn't seem like evangelistic, but when you really study it, it is nothing but anything else but evangelistic. Mm -hmm. Well, look at the text. What is Matthew three thirteen through 17 doing? It's, it's a coronation of the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what was his mission? Evangelism. Seeing lost people saved. And what do we see happening? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all in one accord, all being all about the mission of seeing lost people saved. And so this is very evangelistic. And it's because of the association of Jesus with sinfulness that ought to make us very bold knowing that it is the will of the triune God for us to be about the mission of seeing lost people saved, the very mission of God. So why is it critical to remember as we maybe sometimes 
blatantly refuse to evangelize or meaning that we know there's a moment we don't take it. We don't pray for it. We don't desire it. Why is it such against what the triune God wants? Right, we all understand that we need to be sanctified. We are going to fail. We all stumble in many ways. But the reality of it, when it comes to the work of the Spirit in our lives, as He's maturing our faith and we are relying on Him, you're going to find that in part of that maturation of your faith is a zeal to evangelize and to share the gospel because that is the picture of God in Scripture always telling people and making a way for people to know him and respond to him for them to turn from their sins and trust in him and so it's so important to be evangelistic because god is evangelistic and even you know help us understand i mean reprove it you already said in your sermon in compass i would recommend re-watching that sermon well why is it important to see the whole trinity and can you kind of give us a refresher how is the whole trinity working in the salvation of sinners. Yeah, I mean, we see that the Godhead all have a role in salvation. The God the Father initiated our salvation. God the Son has purchased our salvation through his blood. And God the Spirit has sealed our salvation. And so we see that in Scripture, even in the text in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, we see the Son accomplishing the Father of the will by associating himself through the symbolic mode of baptism with sinful humanity. We have God the Father bestowing honor and glory unto God the Son by uh, his voice thundering from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then there in verse 16, we also have the Spirit expressing his pleasure and his union with the will of the Father and the Son by descending onto the Son from the presence of the Father. And all of this shows us how unnecessary and important the gospel and the mission of making disciples is to the Trinity. All right, and finally, Pastor Hayden, before we jump into the application portion of this podcast, as you explain that, I can understand, like, right, I follow, I see, I understand the biblical nature of the Trinity. Why would you caution us, maybe, as we're <clears throat> excitedly telling our friends or family, hey, this is how you can understand the Trinity. And here, let me give you some illustration. Why is that, even? I would say, dangerous to do? All analogies and illustrations fall apart at some point, no matter what example I may use. I may say that Pastor Evan is strong as an ox. But the, Thank you. Pr the problem with that is, is okay, does that mean that he has multiple stomachs? Does that mean so that he can have more nutrients to build more muscle? Sometimes I wish I did. Yeah. Oh, or does that mean that like his neck muscles, he's got extra muscles in his body and his anatomy is different than the average human being? No. That illustration falls apart at some point. Now, the problem, uh, the bigger problem with trying to analogize the Trinity is that all analogies of the Trinity, almost every single analogy of the Trinity is actually, if you follow it to its inevitable end, an actual historical heresy. What is a heresy? A heresy is something throughout church history that is a blatant falsity of the of what the Scripture says, particularly in relationship to God or the Son. Uh, for instance, there is a heresy of the Trinity called modalism, which modalism is the fact that God shows up in a particular mode. He can show up as God the Father, as God the Son, as God the Spirit, but never actually be all three at the same time. Well, that's a heresy, but that's also a lot like water. 
water and ice and vap- evaporation, vapor. Now, there's, there's an example of an analogy that leads to heresy called modalism. And then, Pastor Hayden, what is the difference between maybe a biblical error versus heresy? Why is heresy something that is taken seriously? You tell me. Well, it's heresy. If you believe that the Godhead is in the modes, you know, the scriptures make it abundantly clear that you're not a Christian. Right. Because you have to believe the truth. And you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Or you can't be saved. And that's said in 1 John, not by Pastor Hedden or Pastor Evan. That's right. So 1 John makes it clear that in order to be saved, it's believed that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God. And so that's why early early on in church history and during when the time of the Bible was written in the Old Testament and the New Testament, understanding who God is was vitally critical. And that's why the church councils came up with a wonderful word called homoousius, meaning one essence. The Son is of of the same essence as the Father. Is that the Nicene? Yeah, the Nicene Council there in Nicaea that we, uh, well, not we, I guess, but the... Uh, Where Santa Claus Santa there. Claus and Arius and all, uh, Alexander the Great kind of popped in, and uh, all these guys, pastors, the pastors got together and uh, said, hey, we need to help people understand the triune nature of of the Godhead, particularly in relationship to the Son. So in a short compass, let's make sure that we do not take lightly the Trinity, do not take lightly who God is. God cares about who people think of him. You, would, you care about what people think of you. They want You want people to understand you correctly. Well, we should want people to understand God correctly. And so you know, with that, Pastor Hayden, you have some several application questions for us this week. Uh, but the last question, any help for us on that last question, which is going to be challenging for us? Yeah, the question is, how do these verses, the ones Acts 10, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 Peter 1, Matthew 28, help make you aware that our one God exists in three persons, and all three persons are involved in the life of believers? And then I ask the question, why is this awareness important for your faith, specifically in how you relate to the Trinity? Well, use categories, I think, is is best way to do this. I think one a category is prayer. How does relating to the Trinity in prayer important? How does praying to God the Father through the power of the Spirit uh, in Christ, and you pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that is a work of the Son. That's one you probably know a lot. But what about other uh, categorical areas? Uh, what about uh, when it comes to your salvation? How We've talked about that in the sermon. Or your sanctification. How does the sanctifying work of the triune God play out in your life? Uh yeah, those are just some some areas that you can begin categorically thinking about the work of the triune God in your life. All right. Well, speaking of help, we have some resources for you as a church, and both of them are uh, by Dr. Bruce Ware, a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And a visiting professor at Compass Bible Institute. If you know, you know. All right. Well, uh Compass, my book recommendation for you to better understand the Trinity is actually a book called The Man Jesus, The Man Christ Jesus by Bruce Ware, The Man Christ Jesus. It's a short book, but read it slow. He's a very good systematician. 
that is able to take all the scriptures together and to slowly and clearly articulate the truths of scripture, even though your mind is blown a lot. And you also can read his book called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Relationship, Roles, and Relevance. They help you understand the relationship the triune God has with one another, the roles that they uh, distinctively possess, and why is that relevant for you and I? All right, we are now in the Daily Bible Reading Spotlight, where this week we are going to be looking at Matthew 20 through 23. All right, well, Compass Bible Church, buckle up. Time to slow down the speed of this podcast, because it's only three chapters, but there is Four chapters. uh, Yeah, it's four chapters. Four chapters, and there is a lot going on, so I will go quickly and and kind of... But diligently. Diligently, yet at a 30,000-foot level, but yet also clearly. Pray for me. So right away in Matthew 20, we're continuing on in the thought of Matthew 19, where Jesus gives a parable about laborers in a vineyard and how people were hired on earlier in the day, and then people were hired on later in the day, and the master gave you know, the same pay because that's what the master decided. And the people were upset about it, uh, but the master challenged them in verse 15 of 20, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And Jesus' point is absolutely clear that it's up to, Jesus gets to choose who's in or not. Jesus gets to say, this is going to be saved. Maybe in the people that are, he's talking through, remember the children in the beginning and also the, the unwanted people, society, is those are the people who come to the end of themselves in a full dependence on God. Those are the people that God will reveal himself to. And it doesn't matter if you were saved at 10 or saved at 99, the gift of eternal life is given to both. Given to both. So it's up to God. So who are we to say, God, it's not right that I was a Christian all my life and this person just became a Christian. He goes, no, no, no. I get to do what I get want to do. And this is actually what is good. Right into or after that, Jesus for the third time foretells his death and resurrection. And in verse 18, makes it clear why they're going up to, going up to Jerusalem so that he can be delivered, he put to death, and to raise, rise himself from the grave. Rise himself from the rise grave. From the grave. You heard himself. it first here. There you go. <laughs> Which leads to an interesting moment with the... Sons of Zebedee, that's John and James. Their mom comes up to Jesus and says, hey, can they have a big favor from you? And Jesus says, well, are they, Are you guys willing to drink the cup that I'm willing to drink? And they say, yes, we are. He goes, let's talk about it some more. Really emphasizing the point of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to drink of his cup. And the cup that he's referring to is an Old Testament um, reference about the cup of the wrath that God is going to you know, put on the Messiah that Jesus is going to drink. And so following Christ means that we are going to give everything up. And hence why in the end, uh, towards the end of that section in verses 26 through 28, it talks about, hey, in order for you to be great, you must be the servant of all. In order to be first, you must be the last. You must be the slave. And so just like me, who I'm here not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many, in which those many are revealed right away to those who are dependent and in desperate need of God who are blind. And then these two blind men pop on the scene on their way to Jerusalem on the path from Jericho 
Two blind men hear that Jesus is passing by, and yet they can clearly see that it is the Lord, their master, the son of David. Even blind people. Even blind people can see, emphasizing that people people who see are really blind. And the people like, hey, stay silent. They cried out all the more, showing their helpless state that they need God's mercy. But here's the thing. Why doesn't God heal all the blind people? For these people, it's not any merit of themselves, but Matthew sees them as an example. As soon as their eyes were opened, what did they do? They followed him. They wanted mercy so they could actually see God. They wanted God. And so when they opened, God, Jesus opened their eyes with their childlike faith, they said, I, we want to follow you. We want to see so we can follow. And so as a result, that's why we repent. We want to turn from our sin and follow Christ, to be with Christ. And then that leads, as they are ending their journey to Jerusalem, they actually arrive at Jerusalem at the triumphal entry in Matthew 21. Jesus and geography matters and events matter, as Pastor Hayden mentioned, not only in the sermon, but also in the first couple weeks of the Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew sermons, which I recommend listening to. Jesus fulfills a prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9 that this king would come, not on a horse, but on a donkey, humble, instead of victorious in battle. You know, he is victorious in battle, but he's humble. He's a humble He king. will be victorious in battle. He will be victorious. On a white horse, turns out. So that one is to come, but this one is humbling himself mm. in the form of a man in humanity, mm. associating himself to save them. And, and that's where the people shout out, Hosanna the son, to the son of David. But what does a Hosanna mean? I know we sing it. Hosanna. What does that even mean? It means, please save us. So every time you're singing Hosanna in the highest, you're saying, please save us, God. And these are the people are praying. You know, a lot of them probably are thinking, save us from Rome. Save us from captivity. But Jesus is saying, I am going to save you. But I'm going to save you from a greater enemy than Rome. It's going to be sin. Then we see Matthew's account of Jesus cleansing the table, just emphasizing his zeal for the Lord, and also emphasizing more, uh, uh, fulfilling more prophecy, excuse me. Verse 14, who are coming to be healed by him? The blind and the lame. Those who are cast out are the ones that Christ is saying, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He does this ministry in Galilee, does this ministry in Judea, and now he's doing this ministry in Jerusalem, and people are crying out again, Hosanna, please save us, the son of David. And so we can see these people who are just crying out. And their children. And their children. Which and again. In Psalm 8 too, they're emphasizing the children, the childlike nature we need. Out of the mouth, infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. People are just desperate like children are to their parents to survive. That is the disposition we need to have towards Christ. Then we enter a really interesting scene that I had to really sit down and study, which was fantastic. The Jesus cursing the fig tree. It's a bizarre part, part of your daily Bible reading, but it's not really entirely bizarre once you get down to it. Essentially, there's two parts of it. You see Jesus cursing the fig tree, and it withers, and then Jesus says, you can move mountains. And we can go, well, what does that mean? Can I yell at a mountain and it's going to move into the sea? And Jesus is not really talking about that. What is he talking about? Well, he sees a fig tree with leaves, which means it should have fruit. 
It should have fruit, but he looks at it and says, there's no fruit. And he says, may no fruit ever come from you again. Well, this fig tree is a representation of Israel, not just Israel, but this generation. This generation rejected their Messiah. They rejected their Savior, their King. Even though it looked like they should have had fruit on the surface, people say, oh, these are pretty religious people. As you have seen and studied through the Gospel of Matthew, they are far from it. They had no fruit. So Jesus curses this generation. This curse was fulfilled in 70 A.D. When this generation, even though they treasured the temple and treasured Jerusalem, treasured their position, they were scattered from Israel. Their temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was entirely destroyed by the Romans, fulfilling Jesus' curse on that generation for rejecting their Messiah. And then what leads to the emphasis of faith. Instead of doubting God, trusting God, turning to Him with utmost trust that if we pray within His will, He will answer our prayers. Again, praying within His will is trusting in God to the one to move mountains and such to do the impossible. What's the impossible? To save sinners, to save hard-hearted people. Which, actually circling back, was that? I forgot to mention this, how the people said, you know, the Pharisees told the people to stop talking and, you know, fulfilled the prophecy out of these stones. God will create a people for himself from Abraham. Well, those are the people crying out to him, the Pharisees saying, stop. And she's out of these stones would sing right now, fulfilling John the Baptist's words. Well, as Jesus was doing this, his authority was challenged towards the end of it. They're asking, by what authority are you doing these things? Which should help us remember Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ by who? God the Father. The Trinity at work. And so Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question. He's testing the heart. See, the blind men see, but these Pharisees do not because they don't want to see. The blind men want to see and follow. These Pharisees don't want to see because they want to kill Jesus. And that's when Jesus brings up, was the baptism of John the Baptist from heaven or was it from man? And they didn't want to answer it because they are two-faced. And neither I tell you. And he actually shares a parable saying, here's two sons. One says, hey, can you uh, go out and work? And one says, no. And afterward, he changes his mind and went. And the other one said, yes, I will go, but does not go. He's talking about them. They are the second son, the one who said, oh, we'll go. God will do your work. And they don't do it. It's those people whom they hate, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the blind, the beggars, the lepers, the people whom they shunned are the ones that... You know, they lived a life of sin, and they wanted to fall off to themselves, and they decided, you know, I need to change. And they actually do and they what actually, they're supposed to. And that's where Jesus commends them, saying, those are the those are the first son, the one who's commended instead of condemned. Hmm. And then he find, ends with the parable of the tenants, who's talking about the Pharisees some more, about how a master planted a, a vineyard and put a fence around it and hired workers, and yet the workers betrayed him, but betrayed him, stole his property, and killed his son. And so he's saying, you are doing that right now, and you can imagine the wrath that God the Father is going to have because you have rejected the stone that the builders rejected, and that's going to be the cornerstone. So instead of repenting, they double down. In verse 45, at the end of chapter 21, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they perceive he is talking about them and they plotted together to destroy him. And that is what you call a hard heart, someone that doesn't want to turn. Instead, they want to double down and to live for themselves. Then Jesus has another parable about the wedding feast. Jesus, again, referring to the Pharisees. He says he uh, has a wedding feast for his son. 
the king for his son, and they invite people, but they would not come. That's the Pharisees. They invited them first, but they would refuse to come. So they paid no attention. And so they went off and brought more people. And Jesus revealed that these people are not worthy. Again, this is the moment where he talks about out of the rocks, God will make uh, people for his... um, make people for Abraham. And so, you know, the people go out and gather people from the streets and anyone to say, come to this wedding. But, you know, you still have to rightly respond just because you're the outcast doesn't mean necessarily you're going to be the, in, in the kingdom of God. There's a man who came who was originally just dragged off the street who had no wedding garment and he was cast out, kind of alluding to that we need to be clothed properly in order to enter the kingdom. But what are we clothed in? Is it by clothes itself? No. It's clothed by the righteousness of God because he was placed into humanity's sin. Because we're prepared for the banquet. We're prepared. And we're prepared through? Christ and his righteousness. Chapter 22 rolls on through with paying uh, taxes to Caesar. Again, they're super mad at Jesus, so they're plotting to entangle him. So they try to stumble him by, hey, who should we pay taxes to? And his answer was so good that they marveled. You know, God spoils the plot of the evil. And then the Sadducees, all right, it's our turn. Let's come at him. Let's try to ask him a question. Again, they're more fools about to be destroyed by God. And so they asked about the resurrection. And Because Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection because they were sad, you see, oh, that there was no resurrection. I love that. <laughs> Please save that compass. All right, well, speeding along, Jesus drops the bomb on them saying, you're wrong because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. And when he finishes his answer, you get to notice they were astonished. So here's two groups of people came to throw down with Jesus, and they walked away marveled and astonished. And Jesus is about to destroy them both again. A lot like they did when Jesus was in the temple as a 12-year-old boy. There you go. Astonished. But the destroying doesn't stop. And the Pharisee, they kind of, the, the Pharisees heard that the Sadducees were silent, so they gathered together and said, let's stump them today as a tag team. This is like Voltron right here. Oh, wow. They're going to attack. I don't team. even know what that means. It's in the Lutheran satire video. Satron? Who? Satron? Voltron. Voltron? It's a robot combination oh. thing. Okay. So they come together to try to test Jesus again, and Jesus again asks them a question, which means, uh-oh. And then they were silent. And no one was able to answer him, and nor did they dare to ask him any more questions. I mean, that is what you call total destruction. So the end of Matthew 22, verses 45 to 46, write down total destruction. Because God thwarts the foolish. God thwarts the plans of the evil. The cross is foolishness to their eyes because they're blind to their sin. And then Jesus in uh, chapter 23 essentially destroys them further. You thought that was a total destruction? Well, here's a further destruction. Seven woes. So the number seven is important because seven is the number of completion. It was the completion. It's a complete beatdown of the scribes and Pharisees <laughs> of Christ. It says, beware of the teachings of the Pharisees and scribes. Woe to you because they preach but not practice. They tie up heavy burdens. Remember, Christ's yoke is light but they lay them heavy and then they themselves are not willing to move their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. That is the issue compass. Their issue with the Pharisees and Sadducees isn't their knowledge. It was their heart wanted to love themselves. So when you're reading the gospel of Matthew and the rest of the gospels in the book of Acts, even examining your own life, are you doing things to puff yourself up? up or are you trying to exalt christ 
So Jesus ends these woes with his lament. I mean, talk about the compassion of God, which you mentioned in your sermon. Hmm. That even though they are so evil, God has pain for them. He ends with Jerusalem that kills the prophets. Often I would gather you as children together. He just emphasizes that he is the God of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18, 23 and 33 uh, verse 11. It says, God does not rejoice in the destruction of the wicked, but rather he would want them rather to turn and repent. Because that's what it says in verse 37. Like, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, O Israel, how I have desired to gather but you're not your children. Willing. And so when we see this, we, we have to guard ourselves like, oh, he got them again, Jesus. Instead, you need, we need to be like Jesus and mourn the destruction of the wicked because this is God's image that has been twisted by sin, that love its sin and has not been redeemed. And so that ends our daily Bible reading. All spotlight. right. Good job, Compass Bible Church, on keeping up with your daily Bible reading. We want to encourage you, if you have not even started with us, to go ahead and pick up where we are now and follow us as we finish reading the Bible in 2023. Here are some final announcements at the end of our podcast. We have a we have our serve team training coming up February 5th from 1 to 3 p.m. We That's next week. We cannot wait to have our serve team training, some surprises, some really wonderful announcements there, and looking forward to all God's going to do this year through the service of the saints here at Compass. We have our Disciple Now, our winter retreat for our students on February 17th through the 19th. Registration is open. The pricing is $60 currently all the way until February the 8th, and then the price will increase to $75 a student. We look forward to uh, making sure every student at Compass Bible Church can be a part of that. If finances are a problem, please reach out. We will make sure that is not a problem in making sure that your child has an opportunity for discipleship. We have our Men's Fellowship February the 11th, not this weekend, but next at 9 a.m. Always looking forward to getting together with our men. And then Exploring Compass February the 2nd and March 5th are the next two sessions. If you have not completed the Exploring Compass classes here at Compass, we want to encourage you to sign up for that now. Compass Bible Church, we're grateful for you guys. Looking forward to seeing you guys soon. 